All right, and we are live. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize for missing the last couple of days. I actually forgot that yesterday I had an infusion, and the infusion days just wipe me out. They just wipe me out. I uh, uh, I get a a drug for an it's sort of like an anti-inflammatory drug. I don't know. I don't know. It's not anti-inflammatory. What is it? I don't even know what it is. Anyway, it uh, it keeps me keeps me healthy. Keeps me healthy and good. Hello, Aston. And, uh, yeah, yeah, looks like he's going to make an appearance here early on. Uh, Aston, come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. All right, get out, get out. There you go. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's great, but the day that I... Hey, no, 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 no meowing, no meowing. Uh, the day that I get it, it's... Uh, it yeah, it kind of knocks me out for the day, and then, and then I'm good for the rest of the next six weeks. I take it every six weeks, so kind of frustrating. But I'm back, and uh, Valeria, on the other hand, is working sadly, so we won't be able to see her today. Uh, but what a news day today is! I mean, honestly, of all the days that I've received news and I've looked into the news. And I've reported the news. Oh, what are you doing, man? All right. Um, th this is the best one. This is So far, this is my absolute favorite day. There's, in fact, so much news that I had to cut a bunch of really good stories out. And I'm just going to give you three. But these three are massive. So I guess without further ado, we should get into it. I'll, I'll read a couple of the comments here early on um, because I've been gone a couple of days. Uh the pork chop times. Nice to see you. Binary recoil. Binary recoil says, um, thanks to PayPal. They are doing crypto now, which is by the way, an excellent time to jump in. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough to talk about crypto because it's such a volatile market, such a volatile market. And it's scary. You know, uh, right now I've got quite a bit of money in crypto and it's all dipped down to like nothing. And so I'm looking at my crypto going, ah, you know, <laughs> but it's in those moments that you really have to think, okay, if I can stick with this, I'll get out of the dip and and I'll get back to uh, to making more and more profit. Um, if you were able to get out before the Saturday Night Live sketch thing appearance with Elon Musk, uh, as I did, I actually got out the day before, uh, but I, I put back in a little bit too early, I think. So, so by... <laughs> My money dipped down a little bit more than I would have liked, but it's going to come back up. So if you are experiencing the dip and you find it terrifying, don't worry about it. These these things happen. Uh, the money will come back up probably in a week or something like that. Uh, but yeah, it just means you got to hold on a little bit longer. Eh, crypto is very volatile. You know, you don't want to invest money into crypto that you don't think you can lose. Although a lot of people do that, and then they get a dip like this, and then they panic and then they pull their money out and they lose a bunch of money. Uh, you always got to wait. You got to pull it out when it's high. You got to put the money in when it's low. So right now, actually, if you don't have any money in crypto, good time to jump in. Uh, there's really no reason for me to talk about that. I don't. I don't get sponsored by a, any kind of anything to do with crypto. I just, if you guys can make money on that right now, I. I mean, I hope you can. We're, uh, yeah, it's just a really fast way to make money. But you gotta, you gotta be able to have the. Um, I don't know have the sense to pull out when it's high and not a lot of people do that that's really the problem with volatile markets like this all right 
Now this one's great, guys. This You're going to love this one. I love this one. I posted this on Twitter. I talked about this on Twitter, but I want to talk about it now. Um, I'm just going to play this video, and then we're going to move on to the next video. There's two videos that you need to watch, and they're both magnificent in their own way. Okay, let's have a look at this. Oh, yeah, who's that? You know who that is. All right. All right, so sorry about that little glitch there. I don't know what happened, but uh, you get to see Ronald Reagan presenting, uh, you know, the way Ronald Reagan does. No sound. You mean no sound? Why is there no sound? That's weird. Oh. Yeah, crap. I guess I gotta go to speakers. Huh. Give me one second. Let me let me look into this real quick. There we go. Okay. Alright, so you guys may not have been able to hear the um the Nancy Pelosi stuff, but I'm not gonna go back to that because this this is this is better. <laughs> Alright, give me one second. Let me I think this will work now. But there's one thing I haven't been able there to get go. a straight answer on. Sorry, guys. I'm of my quote. The, you know, as president, I have a military aid from each of the tide rips. You know, as president, I have a military aid from each of the five services. My Coast Guard aides have been excellent. One of them taught me that, and I quote, the Coast Guard is that hard nucleus about which the Navy forms in time of war. All right, there we go, there we go. Okay, so you guys can see Ronald Reagan has this quote that he's heard. He's like, yeah, this is... This was referred to as a joke by, I think it was Forbes magazine. And it, this is not a joke, right? This is... Uh, this is an expression of the the critical nature of the Coast Guard, right? I think he's talking about the Coast Guard, right? And uh, just talking about how important they are, you know, to the Navy. And uh, it's just a nice thing to say. It's a, it's a profound thing to say. It's a good thing to say. All right. Now, <laughs> there is one president that we've had in uh, the United States and in, in American politics that is that is known for over the years plagiarizing other people's speeches maybe you guys know who that is maybe you guys know who that is well um i won't hold you in any more suspense let's have a look that's right that's right it's it's mr joe biden and this is joe biden's attempt at expressing the same sentiment you know using exactly precisely the same line but, uh, yeah, okay, so let's see how that goes. I can only assume that 
you will enjoy educating your family about how the Coast Guard is, quote, the hard nucleus around the Navy forms in times of war. You are quite, you're a really dull class. I mean, come on, man. Is the sun getting to you? I would think you'd have an opportunity when I say that about the Navy to clap, but, but being here together. So, you know, a lot of people in the media are framing this as, you know, as offensive to the Coast Guard or something, or he's, he's, uh, but I, I don't think it's about that. I, I think what it is is uh, just shows how inferior Joe Biden is as a president. And look, it's a little bit unfair, right? You're comparing him to the greatest president of all time, right? The man that they that they nicknamed the great communicator. Okay, uh, Biden might be described as... Biden the incompetent, right? Biden the feeble, uh, Biden the feckless, Biden the uh, the absolutely useless, um, uh, Biden the cheater. Let's call him that. Um, but look, uh, you know, Joe Biden cannot communicate at all. I mean, he's he's basically probably one of the worst presidents we've ever had in history. Probably the worst we've ever had in history in terms of his ability to communicate, um, to speak with authority, to speak. In incoherent sentences, for that matter. So he takes a line from the great communicator, Ronald Reagan. And first of all, he doesn't even say it right. He doesn't even use the right words, but he steals this line. So all he has to do is recite the lines, recite the lines. That's all he has to do, right? It, well, okay, no, that, that's not true. There's a little bit more to it than just reciting lines. But that's the that's the most basic thing you got to get right, right? You got to get the line right. If if people don't even understand what he said, people don't even understand what he was trying to say. Uh, teaching your parents that the Coast Guard is the hard nucleus war forms around the Navy, and you can tell them about that. <laughs> I mean, the Coast Guard. Cadets, or I don't know, I guess they're at the academy, so these are new Coast Guard recruits. Um, they're sitting there looking at him, and they're just thinking, I don't even understand what he means. And I think that's a well-known phrase within the Coast Guard. If anybody's been in the Coast Guard, you can let me know. But I think people know this phrase from from Ronald Reagan. I think that it was something that was popular even before Reagan said it, like within the Coast Guard. Um, I'm not 100% sure about that, but um, Reagan said that one of his guys... His, his Coast Guard advisor presented this phrase to him, and so he read that phrase off, thinking it's a good, you know, it's a good description of what the Coast Guard is, and uh, and that's when it really became popularized in in the media, and now now Biden's trying to use it, trying to quote Reagan, can't quote Reagan, and what's really annoying about that is you might say, okay, yeah, well, he was just quoting Reagan, he was just quoting Reagan, that would be fine if he said, I believe it was Reagan who said. And then presented the line, right? You know, or, or not, I believe, but it was Reagan who said, and, and he can say, like, I agree with this sentiment, right? But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He just says the line as if he invented it or, you know, it's something that, that uh, you know, he came up with this idea or his writers came up with this idea. I mean, my, and, and then he doesn't even say the line right. But what's worse, because like I said, there is more to it than just expressing a line. 
it's sort of like being a stand-up comedian, right? If, if you've ever watched a stand-up comedian and gone, oh, I love that joke, uh, and then thought, I want to make the same joke, and then you told your friend, right? You told your friend the joke, and you're like, oh, that's a really good joke. I'm going to repeat it. And you're like, dude, I watched the stand-up comedian last night. He was awesome. And then you repeat that joke to your friend, and your friend is like, I don't get it. Or they don't laugh, or they just they just think, okay, this this wasn't... Right. Well, what's the problem there? The problem is the delivery, right? You've got to know how to deliver a line effectively. Now, this wasn't a joke. This was um, this was a line that was supposed to praise the Coast Guard, praise the people that he was uh, sitting there talking to, standing there talking to. And, um, you know, Reagan did it right. He did it in such a way where the whole, everybody in front of him, the whole group of cadets in front of him, I think cadets is the right term, um, they start screaming, yeah, all right, good job, Reagan, you know, you got that line in right on the money, their timing was perfect, you actually got the words right, important part of uh, any, any form of expression, <laughs> and then fast forward to 2021, whoo, yeah, B- Biden really massacred that, uh, that line, so now this is how I've titled this story. I don't think I, I don't know if I said this at the beginning. Um, Biden steals Reagan's line and mangles it, much like the presidency. <laughs> so that's what I titled this segment. And, uh, you know, and that's exactly what happened. So Biden steals the line from Reagan and then he totally mangles it. He can't get it out right. Nobody laughs. Everybody's a little bit uncomfortable. And I, that totally feels like what's happened throughout his whole presidency. Like this moment is like a metaphor for Biden's entire presidency. He stole the line and then he couldn't even express the line correctly. He just mangled it. He messed it up. And now everybody's sitting there uncomfortable. They don't want to laugh. They don't want to cheer. They don't know what to do. They're just embarrassed, right? And I just feel like that's who we are as a country now. We're just embarrassed that this doddering old fool is running the country, somebody that most Americans don't even believe won legitimately. Do you know a majority of Americans believe that that the election was stolen? A majority of Americans believe that. And yet we're not allowed to talk about that on social media. It's freaking ridiculous. Um, I mention this all the time on my show. But 30% of Democrats think the election was stolen. 30% 30% of the, of the people who won think that they stole it. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. And, th- and that's just the people that admit that they think that it was stolen. So, yeah. Um, I thought that this was a perfect example of, one, obviously Joe Biden's incompetence. But, oh, and two, the fact that he's willing to st- still willing to plagiarize speeches, which is like, seriously, Joe? Seriously? Um, and there was something a little bit inappropriate about how he responded to the to those uh, Coast Guard, mostly men, I think. Um, you know, I know he was trying to play it off. I know he was really expecting a cheer and he didn't get it. And honestly, like, however inappropriate it was, I think more so it was just pathetic. Right. It reminded me of that moment. I don't know if you guys remember this. <laughs> I'm going to actually look this up because it's so funny. 
There was a moment in, I think it was 2016, when Jeb Bush try, made a joke, and the joke didn't land. <laughs> or, or he, it might not have been. It might have been a statement as well. Let's let's go ahead and watch this. And nobody laughed, and nobody said anything. Nobody clapped, and so he he just turns to the crowd. And he goes, "Please clap." <laughs> Oh, man, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, let's go ahead and have a look here. Yeah, this is one of the best, best embarrassing moments in politics ever. Let's see here. Jeb Bush? Had an even worse one. He's having a really mm. bad campaign. Look at this campaign yeah. moment. This is in Hanover uh, on Tuesday. Look mm. at this. I think the next president needs to be a lot quieter but send a signal that we're prepared to act in the national security interests of this country to get back in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap. Uh, oh, no. You know, he said every, this campaign said everything except the candidate, right? <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's one of my favorite moments in political history. I absolutely love that. Please clap. <laughs> I mean... I do have to say this. I will give Biden this. Despite the fact that he was a little bit dickish with the Coast Guard, uh, that was actually a much better way of dealing with it. You know, if you, you've said something, you expect everybody to cheer and to clap and to be enthusiastic about what you said, and you realize what you said didn't land. I think teasing them a little bit about it is a little bit of a, is, is a much better strategy than to just pathetically say, please clap. But what Biden was doing was essentially the same thing. He was just doing it a little bit better, right? So, so Biden, it, I, you know, I never really thought about this, but Biden is actually a, a better communicator, a better politician than, than Jeb Bush, which is weird because I, I guess we don't really take into account how bad Jeb Bush is at that sort of thing. You just expect him to be okay at it since his brother and his father were both president, but no, he's obviously terrible. Um, but Joe, Bi Joe Biden's pretty close to as bad as Jeb Bush was. I mean, he's pretty close to being as pathetic in that moment. Um, he's berating these young men, uh, and I, I assume there's a few women in there, for, for not clapping at something that he said. You don't do that. You just move on. Or you're self-deprecating, right? You say, oh, that was... I intended for you guys to clap that. Clearly, I did not express myself... Uh, uh, effectively there, uh, you know, I thought I was better at this, but after 40-some years, I, I guess I still have something to learn about public speaking. You know, maybe make fun of yourself a little bit. Say, you know, maybe the Republicans are right. I'm getting old, you know. If, if Biden said something like that, if Biden at any point said, maybe the Republicans are right, I am getting old, that's like a Reagan line, right? That's like something Reagan would have said. And everybody would have just started busting up laughing. Everybody would have loved it. But he doesn't. He says... He says, come on, man. What's, what's wrong with you guys? This, you guys are such a dull group. He calls them dull. You know, and, and look, I'm not as offended by that as a lot of people in the media, but um, it's, just, it's just pathetic. It's just pathetic. You can't land a line. You flub the line, first of all. You massacre the line. And then you blame the people that you were speaking to for not clapping for you. They, they were being charitable. <laughs> not clapping for you because you messed up the line it wasn't effective you didn't even say the right words 
And so these Coast Guard, I think by not laughing at you, I think they were being charitable. Yeah, sure, they didn't clap, but be grateful they didn't laugh at you. Um, they finally laughed when you berated them. But I don't think they were laughing because what you said was really all that funny. I certainly didn't. I laughed because after failing miserably, you blamed someone else. You had the audacity to blame the people listening to you mess up for your for your horrible mistake. They didn't get it or something, right? They're dull. They're dull. That's the problem, Biden. That, you know what, Biden? That's the problem with all of your rallies. That's the problem with all your speeches. From the moment you started campaigning, the reason why you're not getting laughs, why you're not getting claps, why you're not getting people showing up and even listening to you, it's because we're all dull, Joe. That's why. Yeah, you just keep thinking that. <laughs> anyway, I love this story because, as I said, this is a beautiful metaphor for exactly what's happened with Biden's entire presidency, right? Stole the joke and then massacred it, and now everybody's uncomfortable. All right, that's it for that story. Uh Gosh, that story just makes me happy, guys. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, let's move on to the next one because this story does not make me happy. Uh, that, that story made me happy. This story is infuriating. But honestly, it's not, it's not unexpected. Let's just say that. All right, so what is this story? What is this story? Lori Lightfoot bans white journalists. Uh, what has she banned white journalists from? She's banned white journalists from interviewing her. You're no longer allowed to interview Lori Lightfoot. She will not grant you an interview if you are white. Um, this, ladies and gentlemen, is pure racism. If you want to know what racism is, this is it. Uh, there should be a picture in the dictionary where it says racism, a picture of Lori Lightfoot. Because this stupid woman is the quintessence of racism. She is racism uh, condensed and, and, and perfected and put in politician form. Uh, she is an absolutely disgusting monster of a human being. And uh, let's have a look at her. Let's have a look at her. Let's have a look at... This is what a racist looks like, ladies and gentlemen. There we go. And that's her. That's, that's monstrous racism in human form. Um, how would you like to wake up with that, with that at the foot of your bed? Uh, you know, you don't want to make fun of people for immutable characteristics like looks. Uh, but I, I think that this mangled head is what happens when you are pure evil, right? When you're a pure evil racist, uh, this is what happens to you. You end up looking like something no one wants to meet up with in a dark alley. I mean... God, I mean, can you just imagine, like, you're walking into, like, a creepy place, and you turn the corner, and you see that staring at you? Good God. You're, you're going to pee yourself. You're going to scream like a 12-year-old girl and run for your life. Um, but, look, it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not what she looks like that we care about, really. It's what's in her heart, right? And what's in her heart is pure hatred. And, uh, yeah, ordinarily, I wouldn't harp on somebody for... Uh, for how they look, but in this case, she deserves it. She deserves every criticism she gets because she is a disgusting racist monster, and I do not like her. Um, let's see here. Let's go ahead and read this story. Why not? Because it's a it's a nice thing to read through 
It'll give me some cues so that I can complain about this horrible person more. Now, remember, remember, this woman broke quarantine so that she could make sure that that haircut was perfected. That's how delusional this woman was. She she felt that she needed to, to look good as the face of Chicago. Let me tell you something, Lori Lightfoot. That haircut is the least of your problems. All right, you're not going to you're not going to fix your problems being the face of Chicago with a haircut, trust me. All right, let's see here. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot to grant interviews only to black brown journalists. What does that mean? That means she refuses to grant interviews to white journalists. This is an exclusion. This is not inclusion. This is exclusion. This is pure racism. Yeah, sure, I went low at the beginning. You should ignore that. I meant I meant to talk about that at the end to be kind of funny. I don't know why I went there. Because look, look, she's terrifying. All right, let's see here. Uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's spokesperson has reportedly announced that she will only give interviews to black or brown journalists on the occasion of reaching the halfway point in her term as mayor. Um, that was written really poorly. I don't know who, who wrote this. Joel B. Pollock. Joel, listen. Um, this makes it sound like she's only going to, to uh, give interviews to black or brown people until she reaches the halfway point in her term as mayor, which that's not what they mean. Once, now that she's reached the halfway point as mayor uh, in her term as mayor, she's, she's going to stop uh, giving interviews to white people. That's, that's what's going on here. All right, let's see here. Mary Ann Ahern, I don't know how to pronounce your name, lady, sorry, uh, says, as Chicago Chicago's mayor reaches her two-year midway point as mayor, her spokeswoman says Lightfoot is granting one-on-one -on -one interviews only to black or brown journalists. It's unbelievable. I mean, just disgusting. And look at this sort of sneering smugness that she has. Look at these eyes. My God. Just absolutely disgusting human being. All right. Fox News noted that others confirmed what they heard. Uh, oh, sorry, that they heard the same, including Paris Schultz of public TV station WTTW. Um, Paris Schultz writes, I was told the same thing. Um, and this woman, Heather Chiron, who I assume is also a journalist, says, I can confirm, uh, and she says Alderman because she's talking to this guy, George Cardenas, who says, how is this even serious? Or how, how is that even true? Um, be serious. So, so I mean, it's, it's like it's to a point where people are, are, are questioning the validity of it because it's so ridiculous. Like when Alderman George Cardenas of the 12th Ward, all right, we just talked about that. Um, it's not clear whether the mayor's racial policy applies to uh, only to one-on-one -on -one interviews or whether it will extend to future interviews. Lightfoot, the city's first black female mayor, not to mention lesbian. Oh, yeah, here we go. And also the first lesbian mayor uh, has been a target of public criticism for her harsh policies during the coronavirus pandemic, her failure to manage the Black Lives Matter riots, and a sharp rise in crime throughout the already violent city. Earlier this week, as Breitbart News reported, Lightfoot said that Chicagoans who had received coronavirus vaccine should still wear masks despite new Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, guidelines, suggesting that it is not necessary to do so. Yeah, I mean, and this is something that a lot of people have noted. I've watched a lot of um, people react to this, and a lot of people have said, okay, because of the rise in crime, because of her failures, essentially, as mayor, um, 
they believe that this is a way for her to deflect or for her to um, create a sort of smokescreen, create a new story um, for everybody to focus on so that they'll ignore these other major uh, glaring problems with her um, mayorship or being mayor or, you know, problems with her, you know, things that she's failed with. I don't know. Anyway, uh, point is she's failed massively on many, many fronts. And a lot of people think she's trying to distract from that by making the, making up this new sort of sensational story, being a bit provocative here. I don't think so. I don't think this was intentional. I don't think she's sitting there try, thinking strategically. Ooh, how do I how do I um, uh, distract people from talking about my failures? Oh, I know. I'll be super racist. <laughs> I think. Could you imagine a white person doing this? Could you imagine Donald Trump? saying, um, from now on, I'm halfway through my term as president. From now on, I'm only going to take interviews from white journalists. Holy crap. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Uh, yeah, it would certainly distract from some of the other things that he's talking about. But, uh, but yeah, this is not because she wants to distract. This is because that's just, that is an effect of it. That is an effect of it. But that was not her intention. She's a racist. That's the problem here. The problem is that she is a racist. You, you know, the people of Chicago elected a racist mayor. Why? Because you wanted to virtue signal. You wanted to say, we hired the first black female lesbian mayor in Chicago. Give me a freaking break. Well, good job. Now you've got a tyrant who demands that you wear a mask even though you don't need to. Uh, you know, who went around threatening everybody if they broke any kind of coronavirus lockdown laws while she was going out getting a haircut, totally breaking them herself. And now she's here uh, enacting racist policies. And by the way, by the way, I should say, this is not just a racist policy um, in terms of like, it's not just a, a lack of ethics here that we're dealing with. This is illegal. She's not allowed to do this constitutionally. This violates the Constitution of the United States of America. I mean, she. I mean, I imagine there's all kinds of lawsuits that have already been filed about this because you can't do that, right? You you cannot do this in America. You're a you're a government official. You are bound by the laws of the Constitution. You cannot deny reporters access on the basis of race. You just can't do that, right? So she will be sued for this instantaneously. Um, I mean, it's already happened. I'm sure it's already happened. I I don't I don't have the documents. I can't show you, but. It doesn't make any sense that it wouldn't be. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, lawsuits have been filed. Um, all right, let's keep reading a little bit before we move on, um, because I do want to. I do want to look at uh, her, her doubling down. She's doubled down on this, by the way. Um, last year, Mayor Lightfoot ref, uh, referred to then White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany as Karen, a term that's often used uh, to refer specifically to suburban white women. Yeah, when white, when black people use the term Karen, it's it's a racist term. When the rest of us use the term Karen, it's to talk about somebody who is a, uh, you know, especially if Republicans use it, we tend to use it for people who nag other people to like put on their put on their mask, right? That's ten, tends to be how we use it. Um, but leftist black people use it specifically to refer to white women that they don't like. Um, it's just a racist term. It's a racist term. Let's see here. Uh, McEnany had called the mayor derelict for her mismanagement of the city, including the crime wave. And this is something that's a little bit weird about um, about the way Democrats 
message a lot of the the stuff they talk about. Like if conservatives criticize a black woman, right, for instance, um, then we're racist, right? They they will instantly call us racist. But we're not we're not criticizing the person because they're black. We're criticizing the person because they're incompetent, right? Or we disagree with their policies, right? This happened all through the Obama administration. If you criticized Obama, you were instantly a racist. Um, so Kaylee McEnany basically says that she's mismanaged the city, which Lori Lightfoot has mismanaged the city of Chicago objectively. I mean, even if you're a Democrat, you have to kind of acknowledge that. I mean, it's... But in saying that, Lori Lightfoot lashes out and calls Kaylee McEnany a racist term. So I think that that was a little bit of a... That was a very, very minor scandal. I mean, it was like really nothing. But it was foreshadowing, wasn't it? So th- Because this is a major scandal. You cannot do this. This is illegal. Um, but let's look at the doubling down. So... Uh, this is another article here from Chicago Tribune. I'm not going to read it, but what I will do is I will read exactly what Lori Lightfoot said. Um, so she was asked about this, and she responded, no joke. She said, the fact that the City Hall press corps is overwhelmingly white has very little in the way of diversity. Well, that's an embarrassment, she says. She then called on journalism hiring managers to get the memo during a time of racial reckoning sparked by George uh, Floyd's murder by a Minneapolis police officer almost a year ago. Uh, Trying to see if there's anything else that she's written that she said here. Um, Yeah, so she's sitting here saying, because the City Hall press corps is so white... That's why I'm enacting this, right? Because I think it should be more diverse. Well, you don't get to make that choice, Lori Lori Lightfoot. You don't get to determine what color everybody is in every industry. I'm sure if it was up to you, every actor would be black in Hollywood. You know, every every director would be black. Every writer would be black. Every YouTuber would be black. Everybody would be black in every position. You know, and white people would just all be starving to death in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, not getting an education, and uh, yeah, that th- this is what she wants. She wants a world in which, you know, equity, right? It's all about equity. That's the new line, right? That's their North Star, isn't it? Uh, equity, that's their new term, the North Star, right? They want to use this this equity crap. And it's like, I mean, uh, yeah, I get what you're trying to do. You think that, that the world isn't fair. And it should be more fair. And you think it should be fair in a particular direction. You think that if somebody is born with uh, you know, less ability, less capacity to be uh, a successful journalist or something like that, well, that's not, that's not their fault, right? They're just born uh, less capable than somebody else. Well, sh- should they be punished by that? Not, not according to the communists. According to the communists, it's, uh, you know... Uh, to each according to their need, from each according to their will. No, that's not right. What's the term? To each according to their need, from each according to their ability, something like that. I think that's what it is. To to each according to their need, from each according to their ability. So you can only demand from everybody what they're capable of. You know, you can't demand more than what they're capable of. 
Um, but here's the problem with that. If somebody is not particularly capable in a particular field, they probably shouldn't be doing that job, right? And again, I'm sorry. If you're not the best journalist, it is not incumbent upon any newspaper or media agency to hire you just because you are not white or something. I don't, that doesn't even make sense, right? Oh, well, we have too many white men in this position. So even though all of these guys are the best at their job, we have to fire some of them and hire some incompetent black women because they're black and they're women and there's not enough diversity. Look, nobody should care about diversity. Not of skin color, not of gender, not of sexual orientation. What We don't need that kind of diversity. What we need is diversity of thought. We need, we need people who are good at what they do. I mean, I don't even think we really need diversity of thought that much. I mean, we do need a bit of diversity of thought, obviously. But we don't need people who believe all the crazy conspiracy theories of the left. We certainly don't need that. We just need competent people. We need people who are really good at their jobs, doing everything, every job, right? You, you want the best people. This benefits society, and it's fair. You know what's not fair? Hiring people just because they're black. That's not fair. Only offering interviews to people who are black. That's not fair. Uh, none of those things are fair, right? And, and Lori Lightfoot will say, oh, but there's a history of oppression, blah, 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 blah. My family was German, all right? Historically in America, Germans were oppressed, right? They were marginalized. They were considered to be somewhat inferior. Germans came a little bit late to America compared to some of the other groups, compared to, like, say, the Italians. But the, the English, right? The English kind of dominated America for a long time. And so if you came a little bit later and you were German, well, you were considered a little bit weird. You were considered um, inferior and you were not as well respected. Scottish people as well were not as well respected. My family's Scottish. And we came in sort of like the, the late 19th century, the mid 19th century, uh, sort of during, during the Civil War. But we came into the Midwest. We, we moved into the Midwest and then we uh, and then we moved to the West Coast. So we were never really even a part of the racial issues in America. If anything, um, you know, I think my ancestors were probably dealing with their own marginalization. <laughs> but Lori Lightfoot is like, oh, no, people of color have been oppressed in America since the beginning. They're, they have it the worst. They have it the worst. Um, not, not, not always, not in every single era. No, that's not, no, that's not true. There were a lot of people who had it terrible as individuals. They didn't just didn't have the branding of the right skin color, so we can't look back in time and like perfectly identify everyone who suffered. But you can do that with black and brown people if you just make up history and say, oh yeah, no, these people were every single black person, every single Hispanic, every single Asian, they were all oppressed, every single one of them, in every, in, in every year of the entire history of America, they were oppressed, they were marginalized, they had it the worst. And it's just not true, right? It's a made-up history of the United States that benefits one group and hurts another group, right? And this is something I don't think leftists really understand, at least not the voters. It's it's like every time you create um, a systemic benefit for one group, you actually are taking resources away from other groups, especially if especially if you're taking that money and you're you know th those resources from uh, other people. Right, because the, the government cannot operate on its own. The government operates with the money and resources it gets from private citizens in the country. 
So you're taking resources from one group and you're giving it to another group and you're excluding a third group, right? Um, so you're taking it from middle-class people and wealthier people. You're taking those resources from them. You're giving it to uh, black people or Hispanics or whomever you think is the victim class, right? The uh, women or LGBT or whatever group is that you want to benefit. But if there's a poor, young, straight, white boy um, who's suffering, right? Can't, he can't get a good education. Um, he doesn't have a good home life. Maybe he's, got a, he, maybe he's got a great IQ. Maybe he's a very promising young man. But because he lives in a place where he doesn't have good resources, maybe he ends up becoming a drug addict and dying young. And we've just completely ignored that person. We've just completely ignored the young white men in this country for decades because we're so focused on racial equity and all that crap, right? Why does that kid deserve to die young of a drug overdose? Because you've decided that you want to help out your specific group that you like the best. Yeah, this is what we call racism, Lori Lightfoot. You are a disgusting racist. Let me play uh, a response by somebody else. Uh, and uh, let me tell you, that th this, what I'm about to play you, is fantastic. Uh, but I, play, I, I actually played this video right before I came on the show today. And uh, I, it did not inform what I was going to say. I already had planned what I was going to say about Lori Lightfoot before this. But this guy, I think says it even better than I do. He's even more outraged than me. Um, and so let's go ahead and play this guy's response. Uh, this man's name is Leo Terrell. And uh, he's what we refer to as a badass. All right, let's listen to this guy. I'm going to take myself off. There you go. Uh, I'll tell you exactly. If, if, if a white mayor said the same thing, you would have CNN and MSNBC and, and Black Lives Matter protesting and burning down this country. In other words, I can go interview this lady, which I would never do, but Bill Hammer cannot. Bill Hammer with more experience, but because of Bill Hammer's skin color, let me be very clear. It's not weird. She's a racist. She is a racist. Let's be clear. Black woman, mayor, a racist because she won't let Bill Hemmer do an interview, but she'll let Leo Terrell. Never would I do this. As a civil rights attorney, I find this repugnant. Yeah, we're losing our minds, guys. Uh I love that. I love that. That guy's, I mean, he basically expresses exactly what I'm thinking. Um, it was weird because... I, I originally, you know, you might watch that and think, oh, yeah, I, I saw that and I took my cues from this guy. No, actually, when I first read this story, immediately I thought, okay, this woman has to be called out as a racist, right? And I had planned my whole show. I had planned this thing where I was going to come out and say, look, Lori Lightfoot is a racist. Nobody's going to tell you that in the media, but that's what she is. But then I found this interview and I realized there was there was one other person out there willing to call this woman out as the racist that she is. And I think the reason he has that courage is because he is himself a black man, right? Leo Terrell, a black man, feels empowered, emboldened, to call Lori Lightfoot a racist. But every single person in the media should be calling her a racist. There's a sort of tepid response in the media right now where they're like, this is really shocking. This is really, this seems kind of racist. No, it doesn't seem kind of racist. It is full-on racism. Lori Lightfoot is a racist. If you're in Chicago, Lori Lightfoot is your mayor, you elected a racist. And I'm sorry if you didn't vote for Lori Lightfoot, but the people of your city elected a racist. You have a racist. She might as well have a 
freaking clan hood on. She might as well be burning crosses in people's yards. This is her mindset. This is what she believes. She is a hateful bigot. All right, well, that is it for the news. <laughs> oh, that was an emotional journey, ladies and gentlemen. So I am now curious what you guys have to say about all this. Um, uh, I have a, a super chat here. Wow, I got a few super chats. Jeez, okay. This one's from Abel Garcia. Sorry, guys, but I have to do it. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Chicago mayor appears behind me. <laughs> she does look bizarrely like Beetlejuice, right? Um, let's see images oh yeah yeah that's Lori Lightfoot that's basically the same person you guys uh can I can I switch to uh oh, no that's not it oh, man come on man all right let's have a look here Yeah, that's Lori Lightfoot. It's pretty much the same, pretty much the same person, right? Uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. That's let's see where where am I? There, right, there I am. Okay, let me try to find some of the other super chats here. Gosh, there was a lot, guys. MJ Jackson writes: If you read my previous super chats, it explains why Nancy's daughter contacted me. Okay, well, just email me. Come on, MJ, let's do this. Um. Gamma Goblin Miller writes, keep standing tall. Well, thank you, Gamma Goblin. Or Mr. Miller, whatever you prefer. Let's see here. Dark Crusher writes, Beetlejuice head. Everybody likes to call her Beetlejuice. Um, <laughs> Abel Garcia, okay, the Beetlejuice thing. Sorry, guys, I, I can't scroll back far enough. I know a lot of people left Super Chats, and I can't find them. Because um, if, if Valeria's not here, I don't have... I don't have access. I should. I should have got. Somebody had suggested earlier on that I get a, a like an external uh, chat, and I never set that up. I just have a lot of stuff to do, guys. By the way, I've been. You guys want to see something cool? I don't know if I can. Can I show it? Yeah, I think I can show it. Okay, Abel Garcia writes. Um, I'm done with people like Beetlejuice and her black supremacy. They talk about white supremacy, but all I see is black supremacy. And I say this as a first-generation Mexican-American. Man, you are so right. And I've talked about this on the show a lot. Basically, since the first day I started my show, I've tried to make clear that, look. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, hey, hey. Ashley sent me screenshots of your guys' uh, uh, Super Chats. Ashley, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've said this from from basically when I first started my show, which is, that look, there's all this talk, there's all these ideas that uh, all this white supremacy exists in America, but I'm a conservative white American, right? If anybody's going to talk about, uh, hey, those uh, those horrible blacks, <laughs> uh, they're going to be talking to me, right? Yeah, I mean, I look a little like Mexican or in, or maybe like uh, Italian or so. I mean, I look maybe a little bit dark, right? But I'm German and I'm um, and I'm Scottish, right? I'm like the whitest people. Uh, why I look a little bit like I have very dark hair, a very dark eyes, dark brown eyes, and and uh, in the summertime especially I get very tanned. So maybe to everybody I don't look like you know super super white. What's funny is actually when I go to Germany, people or I meet Germans, they're like, oh yes, you look German. You you totally I can totally tell you are German. Yes, 
And I don't really know how they can tell. You know, I mean, I guess I haven't lived in Germany enough, but certain people from Germany are like, oh, you are obviously German. Um, so there are, I guess there are people that look enough like me from Germany that uh, that I'm a common look. I remember being in Paris and looking around and being like, oh my God, everybody here looks exactly like me. <laughs> it was freaking weird. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, but I mean, culturally, I'm obviously I grew up with a white family in sort of like an all-American household, very 1950s style. Even though I grew up in the 80s, um, we just had the sort of, I mean, I think we had a very good family. I mean, I had a very good family life. I had a sort of very sort of classical, traditional American stuff. I mean, we always had Thanksgiving together. I mean, it looked like a Norman Rockwell painting. Like if Norman Rockwell painted families in the 1980s. It would be our family he was painting, I think, you know, and um, yeah, I, I had a very good American, culturally white life growing up and, and genetically I'm, I'm white. And so I do think that if there were so many white supremacists in America, I'd know about it. You know, I'd meet these people. Okay, Ashley, Ashley thinks she sent me all the super chats. That's awesome. Um, I think I would know these people. I think I would meet them. And I just don't. I just don't. But I will tell you this. I've met a lot of black people in my life. Um, you know, I grew up in Oregon, so there weren't a lot. But the ones who were there, I met and I hung out with and I spent time with. And the only racist person that I met growing up was a black kid named Kenny. And Kenny was had watched the movie Malcolm X. And he got real into it. <laughs> and we all knew that he was a sort of black supremacist at school. But... We were all kind of friends with him anyway because if we weren't, he wouldn't have any friends because there just weren't enough black people in school. And I don't think he was really like super good. Fr- he was friends with some of the other black kids, but, you know, there's just too, you know, like, I don't know. He just essentially he had to be friends with, with everybody because, you know, uh, it would have been weird otherwise. Um, but he still maintained this black supremacist crap and we just kind of laughed it off, you know, like, oh, it's Kenny. But then as I got older, you know, and I moved around the country, I lived in... um Miami, I lived in New York, I've, I've lived in London, I've lived in Toronto, uh, I lived in Portland, Oregon, and I've lived obviously in LA, and I can tell you, Los Angeles especially, like, but I've met people from, I've met people from everywhere, I've met people from all kinds of different countries, I've met people from Africa, I've met people from Detroit, and just everywhere, right, everywhere you can imagine I've met people from, and I gotta tell you, like, the most racist Americans that I meet that I've met throughout my life are black Americans. Black Americans have a kind of get out of jail free card when it comes to racism. They seem to think it's okay for them to be racist against white people. There's this idea like, oh, white people were mean to black people hundreds of years ago, and therefore they can be mean to white people now. Like they can resent white people. They can hate white people. That's actually fine. But that's not fine because the people who they're hating aren't, aren't the right people, right? If you're going to hate someone, hate the nameless, faceless white slave owner from 200 years ago. Don't hate me. I didn't do anything. Crap. My parents didn't even come here. My ancestors didn't even come here to like the civil war. And and even then we were on the West coast or the Midwest. Like we weren't, we had nothing to do with that whole situation. So like, why am I hated by black people? But there is this kind of thing in black culture where it's like, okay to be racist against white people. I don't understand that at all. Um, but that's that's America, right? We we don't seem to care about that. And then people like Lori Lightfoot now, and this is something that's actually quite astonishing. Is like, I, I meant to mention this during the Lori Lightfoot thing, but like, Democrats have been racist for a long time, a long time, racist against white people, 
Um, but they haven't really admitted it as openly as this. This is the first time I've ever seen a Democrat politician um, of of Lori Lightfoot's, I guess, um, um, notoriety, right? I mean, she's, she's like a very well-known figure. And <laughs> this is the first time I've seen High profile is the term I'm looking for. I've never seen a Democrat politician this high profile be so openly racist against white people. This is this is pretty incredible. You have some some people like Cory Bush. I mean, you have you you have it occasionally. You will hear some racist stuff come out um, here or there. Like, but somebody at at that level with that much power, that high profile. Yeah, you know, she's the mayor of one of the most important cities on the planet. She's very well known, you know, and she's sitting there and she's setting racist policies. And that's another thing. You don't usually see Democrats um, creating overtly racist policies. They will create racist policies for sure, but not something that so obviously violates the Constitution. This is the most overt racist uh, policy I've I've ever seen implemented by a high profile leftist, and so it's just gotten to that point, right? It's just gotten to the point where they're just openly racist now on the left. That's pretty crazy to me. Um, all right, well let's have a look here. MJ Jackson also right got arrested. Media twisted my story, slandered my name. Family are getting threats purged off of all social media. Oh crap! Oh man, you're gonna have to tell me about this. This is crazy. Um, F- MJ Jackson also writes, FBI is going after everyone for January 6th. I'm a disabled veteran. Media docs my address. Okay, so you were, at, you were at the Capitol January 6th. Yeah, how dare you, MJ Jackson? How dare you casually walk through the Capitol building? I don't even know if you went to the Capitol building. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but... Um, yeah, I mean, come on. The January 6th protests, that was not an insurrection. It, it was not a riot. Okay. I love the footage that's that's getting put out now with like the the uh, the protesters talking to the police and then being like, "Yeah, we're cool with you being here." And the left is the left is still calling it an insurrection, an insurrection. Give me a break! Oh, we got us in the FBI after them. It's it's absolute BS. I do suspect that it might be because of Pelosi's laptop that they're really you know going after everybody. But it again, it might. Just be the corrupt FBI trying to send a message to conservatives. We control you. Don't even try to step out of line. We will, we will, we will destroy your lives. That's not how America is supposed to work. Law enforcement is not supposed to be used as a political weapon. Uh, we are devolving into Venezuela very quickly, and this needs to be fixed. Uh, let's see here. Trom2CH2. I don't know what that means. Interesting name, but I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't work it out. Let's see here. Um, if you keep putting toxic masculinity stuff on Mr. Reagan, I will unsubscribe to that channel. Well, that's okay. Uh, I can do without your subscription. It's a shame that you don't appreciate the toxic masculinity stuff. I like it. I think it's a really good way of getting good content out that I maybe wouldn't have time to produce for for uh, Mr. Reagan if I just focused on uh, the Mr. Reagan style videos, which is why I'm putting those out. Um, and I'm not going to stop putting toxic masculinity stuff out there. Um, even if at some point I stop doing toxic masculinity, I will st- continue to do this style of video 
because there's just no way for me to, to cover. I mean, this is the, really the reason I started this channel is because like there's so much news. Like these three stories are such great stories, you know, and um, if I were to. People keep people are replying to this guy. OK, bye. <laughs> there, are, there are just so many great stories out there, and I just don't have time to go through and do a deep dive research into every single one of them and then produce a Mr. Reagan video. So um, occasionally I have to do a video where I just react to the news, you know, and this toxic masculinity channel is a great way for me to do that. And I love doing it. And to me, it's it's very important that everybody um, pay attention to some of these stories. And like a lot of these stories, they're not in the news, right? They're not they're not in the mainstream news. You won't see them on Fox News. You won't see them uh, on net necessarily even on like Newsmax or, or OAN. You're just not going to see this stuff in a lot of the major news networks, news like the broadcast networks. Um, or even in some of the, the, you know, some of the stuff you can read online, um, just because some of these are obscure. There's this, a lot of what I try to produce on toxic masculinity is some of the stories that are a little bit obscure. You'll notice if you pay attention to what I'm, the content that I have versus what you'll see on, say, Fox or something like that. Fox will obviously cover every major news story. Of course they will. Of course they will. They're a major corporation. That's what they do. Um, a lot of other. Uh, channels on YouTube will do the same. They 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 know where the money is. They know where the, the views are going to be on these major stories. And if a story is big enough, of course, I'll cover it. But I don't like to. I don't like to cover the major news stories. I like to cover the more obscure stuff that you're not necessarily going to see anywhere else. Because at least part of what I'm trying to offer everybody on uh, this channel and on Mr. Reagan is a perspective you're not going to find anywhere else. And some of that has to do with just me and how I see things. And if I look at every, whatever everybody else is saying, and I'm like, eh, people aren't copping on to this one thing. I have a slightly different perspective. To me, that's good enough, right? That's good enough. I'll put that, I'll, I'll do that video. But another thing is just covering stories that people aren't covering, you know, stuff that needs to be covered. Like the, the most recent video that I did that really blew up was that story about the black woman who um, adopted a little white girl and then murdered her. Um, you know, nobody had covered that story. And I looked at that and I thought, how is this not the biggest story in America right now? You know, we're, we're all upset because, um, a white cop arrested a black criminal, George Floyd, and then George Floyd died of a drug overdose in custody. And now the, the white guy is being charged for murder and we're all outraged because of this. Uh, and yet this <clears throat> black woman adopted a little white girl and murdered her and we don't care. Like, nobody cares. We're not reporting on this. This is crazy to me. So, yeah, some of what, some of the reason why I think toxic masculinity is such an important other channel and why I'm frustrated that it's not growing uh, more is that <clears throat> I do think that we need to have access to some of these stories that aren't being addressed in the mainstream media. And by mainstream media, I don't just mean the leftist media. I mean Fox News as well and places like that. Uh, let's see here. Um, MJ Jackson also writes, I have all the evidence uh, of Antifa and Black Lives Matter setting it up. I'm being politically persecuted. I uh, could get a kick out of uh, college and... Oh, could get kicked out of college and refereeing. Oh, you're a referee. That's kind of a fun job. I imagine. Probably stressful. Um, yeah, yeah. That... Yeah, let me know the evidence you have. Maybe I'll try to make a video about that. It's very hard to make videos about January 6th without getting it um, deleted by YouTube or getting censored, especially now. I mean, YouTube has gone crazy. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, they've all gone crazy. They're, they're just like 
they're just ban happy. They're very happy to ban everybody. Uh, okay, here. Let's see here. Tomb2CH2, the one that said that he was going to leave uh, Mr. Reagan if I kept posting toxic masculinity on it, says, the point isn't about me not wanting to watch toxic masculinity content. It's that you're labeling the videos as Mr. Reagan videos. I don't want to double watch your videos. Keep them as clips on toxic masculinity. Um, and, and I actually actually kind of agree with that. That's something I don't really want to. I don't want to double up my content. Um, the reason that that works for me is because you've got, right now you've got uh, 1,357 views of this video today. Um, I currently have 147 people watching. And on my Mr. Reagan videos, I get a, I used to get a minimum of 60,000 people that would watch my videos. That would be about the lowest number I would get. 50, 60,000 would be the lowest number I get. Now that YouTube's got their boot on my neck, it's a little bit different. I get a, a, a minimum of about 20,000, sometimes even less than that, which is crazy. Um, because YouTube has been restricting me so much. But it's still, look, I mean, I've got 1,300 playbacks right now, and I get a minimum 20,000 you know, on a good video, I'll get like 200,000 views. Um, you know, I, I do get that that if you watch Toxic Masculinity and you watch Mr. Reagan, you're going to get a lot of doubled up content. Um, I would hope that the people that watch Mr. Reagan will rec or watch Toxic Masculinity because you guys are, are the really, like, you know, you guys are the people I appreciate the most on YouTube, obviously. But I would imagine that if you would watch the videos here and then you would see, oh, he's posted on Mr. Reagan, you'd just be like, you know, if you didn't want to watch it twice, you just go, okay, well, I won't watch that one. I think that's a total reason, totally reasonable response. Unlike Democrats, I actually believe that you guys have the capacity to make choices on your own. <laughs> right? I think you guys have enough brain power. You can say, I don't want to watch that again. Or if you want to watch it again, say, oh, yeah, you know what? That was a good story. I want to watch that again. You have the capacity to do that. Or if you don't recognize the story, you don't remember that it was on Toxic Masculinity, which I would totally do, and you start playing, you go, oh, I saw this already. You know, move on to a different video. You don't have to watch it again. Um, yeah. Let's see here. Abel Garcia writes, why don't you work with Elijah Schaefer once uh, you get the January 6th protest evidence? Elijah was there, and this could be helpful for the two of you. You know, that's actually not a bad idea. I'm going to go see Elijah... Um, the end of June, we're going to go hang out uh, together. And uh, yeah, so look, I mean, I can fly to Dallas anytime and work with Elijah. You know, he's really one of my best friends, really awesome dude. And, you know, I have a kind of open invitation to go on the blaze over there. So uh, yeah, that's something that could totally be done. He really wants me to move to Texas and join the blaze. Uh, so that he, because <laughs> right now he's, He's like overwhelmed with estrogen. Like he's he's got his wife. He's got his producer Savannah, and um, and uh, you know they're great. Uh, and also my friend um, uh, uh, Sydney over there, and they all kind of like hang out with him at his house, which he loves all of them. I mean, they're all obviously he loves his wife, but uh, they're all awesome people. But he's like, dude, I need I need to hang out with a guy every once in a while. <laughs> anyway, I love Elijah. Awesome guy. Um, all right, let me keep looking at these. Uh, Luke Mahalik writes, audio is out, Chris. Okay, I, I'm sorry for not noticing that, guys. Uh, Gamma Goblin, I read that one. Keep standing tall. Thank you so much. And I think that's all of them. I think that's all of them. Well, guys, um, oh, and by the way, um, Trom2 Channel 2, Trom2 CH2, I don't know how to read your name, man. Um, I mean, it, it is a fair criticism, I gotta say. And, and, uh, 
I don't want to like I don't want everybody to like hate this guy, um, because it's not it's not you know it's not an unreasonable thing to you know to to feel like okay I'm kind of cheating that I'm using content on both. But what I noticed really early on, so like like I said, I do want to produce more content on Mr. Reagan for the the massive people that follow my Mr. Reagan channel as opposed to like the few of you guys. Um, but what I noticed pretty early on is that if I post all of these segments individually on Mr. Ray, on, on the Toxic Masculinity channel, certain videos get a lot of hits. And I can say, okay, people are interested in that video. So I'll go ahead and post that on Mr. Reagan. What's weird about that is I don't, I'm not always like able to guess which videos are going to do well. Like the Ellen DeGeneres video did relatively well on, on Toxic Masculinity. It didn't do as well on Mr. Reagan. It's actually not doing well at all on Mr. Reagan. But for some reason on, on Toxic Masculinity, there's quite a few views on the on the Ellen DeGeneres story, and I just thought, like, I'm surprised that that one would get so many hits. Um, I don't think conservatives care that much about Ellen DeGeneres. It was just a story that I thought was kind of interesting. I like Hollywood stuff, and I know most of my viewers don't, but I thought, well, okay, if people really like that story. Let's go ahead and throw that on, this, on the Mr. Reagan channel, and we'll see if it does well and people are interested in that. They're not. <laughs> people don't care that much about the Ellen DeGeneres thing. Um, but it is it is a good way for me to to some degree to to like see what people like and then say okay people like that story okay people like that story I can't always predict it guys it's one of those weird things like and this, and I've talked to all my all my YouTuber friends um, you know Elijah Sydney Sargon of Akkad all of the different YouTubers that I know I've talked to them all about this and it's like we can never predict what a good video is going to be every once in a while every once in a while there's a video that you go okay this one's going to be a big one. And you put the video together and boom, it goes huge. And you just know, right? But when you're like 80% sure or 90% sure, you're like, I'm pretty sure this video is going to blow up. And then you do it and it's like, sometimes it just like, and you just think, what the hell? Like, come on, this was an awesome video. And sometimes you put like a, a month's worth of work into a video and it just crashes and it's just so, so heartbreaking. Um, and then every once in a while you do a video that's like, Okay, this is a fun one. Um, okay, I'll just do it real quick, and I'm not gonna research it, and I'm just gonna do it, and blah 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 blah. Throw it together, put it up, and then like the next morning, you're like, "Holy crap! How did this video do so well?" You know, I just it's just weird. You know, you don't always know which videos are gonna blow up and which videos are going to crash. Um, okay, occasionally you know, but but for the most part, it's it's kind of a crapshoot. I mean, you can kind of get some sense of which videos are gonna do well, but it's it's much more random than you might think. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the thumbnails that I put up and the titles I put up. Like, I always think that my thumbnails are good. I always think my titles are good. Sometimes they're not, really. Um, the video that is done, really one of the best videos I've I've done, um, is a video called The Top 10 Stupidest Things Democrats Have Ever Said, or something like that, right? And I had this idea. I'm going to put together a bunch of top 10 videos just about Democrats and politics, because you don't see that too much. You see it a little bit. You see top 10 videos about everything, but how often do you see a political channel doing it? So I was like, well, I'll just do a top 10 thing for a little while. And I did a few of them. The first one I ever did, top 10 stupidest things said by Democrats, that one was a hit, man. That, that's probably my most consistently successful video. Uh, that one somehow has transcended the algorithm crush of YouTube. I don't know how, um, but I think it gets shared a lot offline. I'm not really sure. But that one does really well. Um, yeah, that's probably my top performing video over time. Uh, my Obviously, my top performing video ever is the AOC one. But um, 
<laughs> Andre writes, I like the video, I like the show better without the wife. She looks like you just kidnapped her. Um, I get this criticism a lot, and I just, I have to say, what the hell is wrong with people? I mean, honestly, what is wrong with some of you guys? You sit there and you, like, criticize my wife? Like, I feel like crawling through the computer and slapping you. Like, honestly, you don't criticize a man's wife. That's just, like, retard-level thinking, first of all. Um... This I, I didn't mean specifically to attack you, uh, Apollo's Vader, uh, or or no, sorry, Andres, sorry, um, Andres. Um, but I do get this comment that she looks like she's here against her will and she's been kidnapped and all this kind of stuff. There, there are a couple of uh, points to make about that. One, um, she she doesn't she doesn't love being in front of the camera. Uh, she she's become much more comfortable doing the Toxic Masculinity show because she likes you guys actually quite a lot. Uh, we we talk about you guys w when we're off off camera, and uh, she likes doing the show. She likes you guys. Um, she likes the news. She loves politics. Actually, she talks about politics a lot more off off the air than she does on the air. It's really hard for to get her to talk because she's very shy. Um, she grew up very shy. She's just a very shy girl. And she doesn't like to speak, and actually, it's a problem. To some degree, it's a problem in our relationship because I'll say stuff to her and she won't respond. I'll be like, Valeria, you have to respond to things that I say sometimes. I mean, it's just weird. And it's really frustrating sometimes to get her to respond to a comment or something. If she doesn't have something to say, she just won't say anything, which maybe we should all do a little bit more of. But in America, we're not really used to that. We're used to people saying at least, ah, yeah, it's something, you know, but a lot of times she's just really quiet. And... um and the other thing is she's she's Russian, right? And Russians, the the sort of resting face of Russians isn't um, a pleasant face. The resting face of Russians is an, an unhappy face. And a lot of that has to do with this idea that um, Russia's a miserable place. And if you look happy, then you're lying. This is an idea in Russia. It's a very weird idea. But there's this idea that if you're happy, then that means you're lying. And... Uh, <laughs> And people don't trust you if you're happy. So Russians all kind of look miserable all the time. Now, a lot of Russian girls that I've met that have come over to the United States have, have been able to fix this and have been able to sort of modify their behavior. And they're very happy, very bubbly, very fun people. But it's it's not the norm. The norm is if you are a Russian girl, you just look miserable all the time. That's just how they look. And it's very... I, I had a... Before Valeria, I came relatively close to, to marrying a Ukrainian girl, and it was exactly the same with her. People thought she was miserable all the time. I'm like, yeah, that's just how she looks. <laughs> she looks like she's pissed off all the time. It's it's In a way, it's kind of the model look, isn't it? It's like the look that models always have. Like, like they're always mad, you know? Melania Trump kind of looks like that a little bit. Um... Uh, paper plate said he mentioned his exes <laughs> well I think that's a good place to end the show so uh, thanks for watching you guys uh, I really do appreciate you all and uh, yeah say stay subscribed make sure you get notifications on Mr. Reagan not on Toxic Masculinity because you'll get notifications like 30 times a day um, but yeah, make sure you're subscribed to Mr. Reagan, uh, except for the one guy. <laughs> Look, I, I appreciate constructive criticism, uh, honestly, like, you know, 
I complain a little bit, but uh, you guys have every right to criticize the show, to tell me what you like, what you don't like. Um, it's actually helpful to me uh, to some degree if I can if I can uh, not be so emotional about it and, and hurt. But I don't like criticizing the wife. I don't like when people criticize the wife. But if you want to criticize me or the show in any other way, um, I'm perfectly fine with that. I, I, I welcome it. Oh, sorry. Jordan B. just jumped in at the last second here. He says, uh, I really appreciate the work you put into your two YouTube channels you produce. Valeria is an amazing voice and compliment to your work. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you so much. Uh, look, when, when Valeria does have something to say, uh, you know, often sometimes it's pretty profound and it's stuff that I don't always think of. It's like a different perspective. So I do appreciate it when she comes up with something smart. Um, and occasionally she comes out with a, a pretty clever joke, which uh, I love that as well. I, I wish she spoke more, uh, but it's just in her nature not to. So um, yeah, we're, we're working. We're talking about whether or not she, she's going to want to stay on the show, whether I'll get somebody else, whether it'll just be me from now on. We, we talk about that stuff sometimes. Um, so far, we don't have any really real plans to change the format of the show or anything like that. So um, it is what it is. I like her being on the show. Other people don't. Again, I di it did occur to me a while back that there is something about the connection that any YouTuber has, not just me, but any YouTuber has with the audience when they're the only person on camera. Um, you know, I'm just talking to you guys. I'm not talking to anybody else. When Valeria's here, I'm talking to her. Uh, and that... To some degree, I think that severs the connection between the audience and the YouTuber. And that's not good. You don't want that. You want, you know, it's it becomes more of a voyeuristic thing if you're just watching the two of us talk. So I do think there is something very powerful about speaking directly to the audience and not having somebody else there distracting you. So, um, you know, we may shift to that in the future. Um, that hasn't been decided yet, but that's something that I have considered. Let's see here. Uh, John but Jack. Hey, man. Uh, good to see you. He says, talk to my masculinity. I got here late. But did you talk about Eastern Oregon's vote on seceding to Idaho? No, I didn't. I, I haven't. That is a big story, actually. I should have probably brought that up. Um, Oregon has actually voted. Some some counties in Oregon have voted to to move to to become part of Idaho, or at least to start the process of of moving to Idaho. The problem is that this has to be approved by, I think, the Oregon Oregon State Legislature and. That will never happen, right? They're they're all leftists. They do not like people in rural Oregon. They basically set policies to mess with them. It is a disaster over there in Oregon. You have a bunch of ivory tower city folks basically creating legislation to screw over farmers and rural Oregonians. Ba basically a bunch of Democrats making legislation to screw over Republicans. It happens Every year, more and more in Oregon, and it's terrible. So a lot of Oregonians want to become part of Idaho. And actually, some rural California uh, counties want to become part of Idaho as well. They want to make this big thing called Greater Idaho. The problem with Idaho, as I see it, and there's probably some people from Idaho here who are going to get mad at me, but I don't like the name Idaho. I don't like the name of the state. I Sorry, I, I, mean, I know that's kind of like an, a stupid, petty thing, but like I grew up in Oregon. I love the name Oregon. It's a great name for a state. It's kind of a weird name. Um, Idaho is also kind of a, a good name. It's kind of a weird name. But the problem with Idaho is that it's... And I'm sorry, this is true, guys. It's not my fault. This is just part of the culture. Idaho is best known for potatoes. And <laughs> I know there's some very beautiful parts of the state. I've been through Idaho. Uh, my father grew up in uh, Kalispell, Montana. And so if you're from Idaho, you know Kalispell. Um, it's It's sort of right there on the border of Idaho and Montana. But... Uh, you know, so we've driven through Idaho. We've seen some beautiful parts of Idaho. It's really a, a truly a great state, 
but I don't like the name Idaho. So that's the one the one drawback to me is that if all these states secede and move into Idaho, then they'll all be called Idaho. And I'd rather have them be called Oregon, you know, but, ah, you know, whatever. It, it, it would definitely be the best situation. And the reason it would be the best situation is because Idaho would grow in population so much, they'd have more representatives, they'd have more electoral votes, and we'd be taking electoral votes from Oregon and from California and putting them in Idaho, which is a red state. And so we'd be reliably red, um, you know, voting for president, and uh, and we'd have more more uh, we'd have more uh, not senators, congressmen uh, that were Republicans. And so, well, I don't. It, it, is that true? That may not actually be true because it may not. I, I, it depends on how gerrymandered the uh, the districts are. I'd have to look into that, but um, certainly it would be better for uh, for the electoral votes for president. Um, and so I, I do think it's a good thing. Also, the the people that live in those rural counties would not be affected by. Uh, they would not be ruled by these Democrats that live in the cities. Um, so it's just a better case all round. Bigfoot the chipmunk says, "I know someone in Oregon who is conservative." but was so terrified of the COVID disease for her young son, I wondered if she was actually afraid of other issues. Um, yeah, you know, there's... Um, just call it Eastern Oregon and get three more Republicans for Congress. Yeah, I mean, we could totally split the state. That would be great. We should split the state. Um, Idaho's problem... Paper plates writes, Idaho's problem is that people there are called Idahoans, and that's a stupid name. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of sounds Hawaiian somehow. I don't know what that is, but um I you know, it's weird like I don't uh you know, I've never been to Hawaii. I've never had an interest in going to Hawaii. Um and then last year we went to Hawaii. Now I'm like obsessed with Hawaii. <laughs> it's one of those things where everybody's like this is the best. This is the best. And you're like, "Why?" And then you go there and you're like, "This is the best." <laughs> It's just one of those things where I was wrong, guys. I was wrong. I always thought Hawaii would be kind of lame, and it is not lame. It is amazing. Uh, it's just so frustrating that so many Democrats rule such beautiful places, right? Like, Oregon is really beautiful. You guys you should, you guys should check out Oregon. It's, uh, I think Valeria and I, I've been trying to plan this trip where we just go down the coast of Oregon, and we just stay at different cities on the coast and we check out all the different things you can look at on the cause I never did that. As a kid I we would always go to certain beaches. We went to Astoria, we'd go to Newport, we'd go to Lincoln City, um, and then there was like I think deep not well Depot Bay of course, but down south there's a couple of places. Florence, we'd go down to Florence. Um there's there's these sand dunes that are in Oregon. The movie Dune, the original movie Dune was actually shot in Oregon because we have sand dunes there. Um one of those weird things, man. I had a really cool childhood. We Oregon is has so many cool things. Like you think of it as just one big green forest, and that's kind of true. Uh, but that's only the west part of Oregon. On the east part of Oregon, there's just um, this massive desert. Uh, you get some pine trees, but mostly it's just desert. And then um, you go to the south, and you got the dunes. You go, of course, you got Mount Hood, so you can go snow skiing. We used to go water skiing over at Detroit Lake. And you've got the oceans. We used to go crabbing. We used to, um, you know, go uh, get clams, clamming, clamming, crabbing, fishing. Um, yeah, it was a great place, man. Great place to grow up. If you want to raise kids, you can't really do much better than Oregon, um, except for the politicians now. But anyway, sorry, that's me going on about my childhood. 
Uh, Cats of Sherman says, I live in Washington. Pacific Northwest is the most beautiful part of the country. I mean, it just really is, guys. It's it's hard to beat the Pacific Northwest. I was in a small town in uh, near Chicago recently in Illinois, and it looked pretty similar to the towns I grew up in. You know, Salem, when I was growing up as a kid, I'm like, oh, this is kind of a nice throwback. So there are places in the Midwest that look similar. But, uh, you know, I would say really, I think probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in the world is is where I grew up. Because I've traveled a lot and uh, there are some spectacular places in the world. But Oregon really does is is a kind of hidden gem. And, And Washington as well, Pacific Northwest and British Columbia also just phenomenal. One place I need to visit is Alaska. I have some relatives there, so I should go. But everybody's like, Alaska's amazing. So I'll check that out eventually. Uh, which has the worst commies, Oregon or California? I think probably California. But the problem is that it's the Oregon politicians are, are really... Well, you know, that's... Actually, you've got Antifa up there in Portland. So Portland may actually take the cake. The, the, so I used to live in Portland, and I have to say, like a lot of the people that are in Antifa in those groups, they're... They're basically like cosplayers, right? They're like children. They, they're, 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 um, they've got arrested development. They've got, kind of got stunted intellectual growth. They're, they're all a bunch of basically rebellious teenagers, even the ones like that are in their 30s. But they're all acting like rebellious teenagers. They're like children. They don't know... They don't know how to function in society properly. And, uh, you know, they... they they, there was this thing when I was a, a kid that the nerds that I knew would do called LARPing, which is something I never did. And it seemed like it would be a bit of fun, right? You basically, it's called live action role playing, right? You go out with these like big foam swords and you pretend to, you know, fight each other in like medieval battle or something like that. I had a friend who did this kind of stuff. And that kind of quasi nerdy, uh, fake war type thing that's what antifa are that's what Antifa. it's a bunch of fucking larpers out there pretending to be soldiers running around throwing fireworks at police officers i mean they're just a bunch of morons there's a bunch of this is why the police aren't firing actual bullets at them because they know they're a bunch of stupid children the problem is you get enough of these stupid children and you know you occasionally get somebody with like a molotov cocktail and then this massive crowd becomes actually kind of dangerous and so now you're in this position where they're all individually a bunch of nerdy LARPers who don't really deserve to get their heads cracked. A few of them definitely do. Um, but then uh, in mass, they are actually a dangerous force. So, But anyway, all right, I got to get to work because I've got to put some of these toxic masculinity videos on my Mr. Reagan channel. <laughs> and I've got to work out some original content for Mr. Reagan as well. So, uh, oh, by the way, oh, guys, guys, for those of you who stayed here, long enough to check this out i'm gonna play something for you this is just a little bit of test footage so you get to see what i'm kind of working on right now uh what am i gonna look at drive yeah let's do this my drive yeah oh this is this is good fun when it comes to donald trump okay you can probably hear that so i I'm trying to work, this isn't exactly perfect, but I'm basically trying to work out, I think I'm going to make his eyes a little darker and scarier, but I'm trying to work out how to do these animations so I can do them really quickly, Um, because you don't want to have an animation that you can't, um, that, that you can't actually 
produce an episode a week or something like that. So I want to be able to do an episode a week. So I'm trying to figure out how to do this. The next step is to make the body move. But right now, this is kind of how I'm going to When it comes to Donald move. Trump versus me, just look at us. Okay? Just look at us. Who seems to be in shape? Who's able to move around? Who's, I mean, this idea of, you know, slow Joe. <laughs> I, anyway, I, I shouldn't laugh about it because, uh, anyway, Donald Trump, uh, just look at us both, watch us, and determine whether or not you think. Uh, the, uh, the other part, portion is a lot of people don't know how to register. Not everybody in the community in the Hispanic and the African-American community know how to use, know how to get online to determine how to get in line for that COVID vaccination at the, at the Walgreens or at, at, at the particular store. So you guys kind of see what I'm doing here. I'm just, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of working on how to do the animation for this cartoon and, uh, yeah, it should be good. I mean, we got to write some new scripts because the old ones are, are too dated now. But, uh, yeah, so we're still working on the cartoon. It will be out hopefully soon. All right, guys, that's it for today. I will see you guys again soon. And remember, it's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just they know so much that is not so. <laughs> All right, good night. Toxic masculinity.